Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Ross Ferguson. Hi on Iron Brew. <laughs> I do have Iron Brew. In, you got the Iron the, Brew. I do. Don't spill your drink again. Yeah, if you were listening to the last episode, uh, <laughs> towards the end, you might hear some spillages happening. But this time I brought a bottle with a it's top a, on it. It's got a cap, got a on, cap it. on it. Do you normally walk around with just uncapped drinks? Well, if, if I'm drinking it, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just didn't remember the last time. What was it that spilled? It was a, a water. cherry oh. tasting water. Is there so, a cherry? I can't see. Is there a stain it's, on the it's carpet? It's all gone. The it's all studio? gone. Okay. I, I've been forgiven. Yeah. It's all gone. They so to clean up. How you been, man? Really good. Yeah. I, I feel like it's been a while since we've been in this room. I, I know it's it probably hasn't, but I've, what maybe four weeks since we were five weeks, maybe since we last yeah. recorded. It's not the last time we've seen each other. No. You act like it's been. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, you've we, been around. Well, a bit, yeah, so. I've been traveling, but we do we see each other a lot. Yeah, just this room. It feels we may see each other too much. I mean, this <laughs> this is a shock to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, on the scale of not enough to too much, we're probably closer to the too much, wouldn't you say? Well, it's not what I would personally oh, say. Oh, okay. So well, that's a very slightly, sweet. A slightly hurtful. Yeah. Oh, okay. I take. I walk it all back. We, sure. sh- we should be together a I, lot na- more. Now I feel like we see each other too much. But no, okay. <laughs> This banter's going, going, it's going really, really well. well this morning. Yeah, so how you been over the last month that I haven't seen you? <laughs> that you've seen me too much. Yeah. We've been really good, actually. I think family life has been great and personal life has been great. We've been enjoying lots of different activities. What has been tough, though, is I'm in a point in the semester where we had midterms and then final papers and things yeah. and just, you know, your head explodes at how many references you've got to put in and things. So <laughs> I'm currently actually writing a paper on Cain and Abel and why God favored Abel over Cain. Oh. And some of the research is really kind of good fun. I'm really enjoying kind of digging yeah. into it. So, so, What's your thesis? Why did you... Um, so I'm going that God's ways are inscrutable, that ultimately... Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, you can take the by faith. <laughs> well, do you want to hear the most ridiculous argument? Yeah, let's hear it. God favors gardeners over chefs. <laughs> I found it. I was just random. These these buttons aren't labeled. They but could you, have easily you, been the birds chirping. You've done this multiple times where you picked the exact right one. I know. It's divine inspiration. It's, it is. Right. So uh, some people say it was just because he likes gardeners better than hunters. Because he likes hunters? gardeners better than he likes shepherds and hunters. Yep. That's weird. Yep. I mean, okay. Oh, the other way around. But That's so, I, I mean, like, what about the happy medium between inscrutable and he prefers gardeners to like there are people that he predestines and there are people that he doesn't. So I, and, or I think the, something like the that. strongest second argument was by faith, going to Hebrews, that ultimately there was a, a, a faith stamp here. There was an attitude stamp. Something was different mm. between how they offered rather than the offerings yeah. themselves. Yeah. The leading kind of negative arguments is that God wanted a blood offering and therefore that's why he favored it, that somehow there was commands before this situation that Cain disobeyed and Abel obeyed. But a lot of those things are just kind of read into the passage. The the key ones that are, I guess, sitting in the passage is ultimately God makes a choice. And then in Hebrews where faith is mentioned. So one of those two seem to be the standout arguments with lots of minor arguments behind it. Yeah. Well, okay. That's what I'm studying. Yeah. Well, if you can get a lot of pages out of God's ways are inscrutable. (laughs) Good on you, I suppose. Yeah. Hey, I just got back from New Zealand. You did? We were in San Diego for three days and then flew from there to New Zealand. My first time there. 
Mm. It is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, delightful people. Preached Acts 29 New Zealand Conference. Preached at a church there as well. And wonderful people. We had a wonderful time. Coming back this way, the jet lag really kicked in. The jet lag does. So I didn't do, I, I did some kind of administrative type stuff yesterday, but yesterday was my, I'm not going anywhere because my brain is upside down <laughs> kind of day, which consequently means I've had to pack in a week because I go on the road again tomorrow, yeah. pack a week of, uh, of work into today. It's going to be a long day, but I'm glad I'm here with you. Yeah. Did yeah. you enjoy New Zealand? I did. We got to see the Hobbit set, uh-huh. the Hobbiton set, which was much more extensive than I thought it was. I, I thought, like, you pull up in your car and you see, yeah. you know, the red door or whatever, you know, three Hobbit holes. Yeah. No, it's like, did it's get, a big deal. Did you get to go inside or um, did you get to see? No, but they're, they're, while we were there, they were doing construction on Sam Gamgee's yeah. home. And they're making it so that, yes, you can actually you're going to be able to go inside in the future. It's an exterior good. set. Yeah. So there's a few doors that you can open, but you just see like, oh, there's a fire extinguisher in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a Hobbit home. But at the end of the tour, there is the Green Dragon, mm. which is the, the I guess, the tavern that yeah. the, the Hobbits use. You can go into the Green Dragon. They give you, you know, tea and things yeah. once you're in there. And so that's kind of neat. But the the Hobbit, you know, the Shire itself is an exterior set, yeah. but it's a beautiful thing. And it's a... Over an hour, they walk you through this tour. Mm. They give you all this background. It's a it's a working garden. I mean, so there's like mm. the vegetation, everything is is real. There, yeah, it was just a much bigger, yeah, extensive deal than I thought it was. But and did yeah. you notice the difference between Australian and New Zealand accents? Yes, somebody asked me about that actually <clears throat> while we were there. What do you think is the difference? And the difference, I think, is that New Zealander or the Kiwi accent they go up yes. at the end. There's yep. like an up talk at the almost as if every statement ends with a question mark. Yeah. We're going to go up, you know, we're going to yep. talk and we're going to end with the sentence this way. Yeah. It was like that. They kind of went yeah. up. That, that was the main Which, difference. It's interesting. That's how I view American accents. Oh, American accents go up at well, the Well, there, are, there like is a, a lot. Of, I mean, that is very popular yeah. now or common now thanks yeah. to like the Kardashians and kind of the, <laughs> the girl influencer culture. I we would, all talk like this. I wouldn't know It's like vocal this. fry. You know what vocal fry is? It's like that. No. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, man, I can't. I'm going to go get a coffee. <laughs> like, why is everyone talking like that now? It's because of that sort of thing. Please stop talking TikTok, like that. Instagram, v, you know, VH1 yeah. Kardashian stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, we had a great time. Good. And glad to be home. Hit the road for Alabama tomorrow. What are you doing in Alabama? Preaching at Alabama Baptist Pastors Conference. I'm doing a men's conference, and I'm preaching at a church. So Okay. Full on. A whole deal. Yeah. But it's good. It's good to feel useful. Whenever I'm doing it, I'm like, man, it'd be nice to just be home not doing anything. And then when I'm home not doing anything, I'm like, why doesn't anyone love me? <laughs> <laughs> why doesn't anybody want me to preach somewhere? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll rest when I'm dead. I go, hey, we got some reviews. We have quite a lot of reviews. Yeah, I'm just going to do a few because we want to get into our subject here pretty soon. But some good reviews. Moose is my last name. Okay, if you say so. Moose is my last name, gives us five stars, says one of my biggest pet peeves right now is that y'all are no longer doing pet peeves episodes. Yeah. You know, we've heard this a lot. We have no plan to bring them back nope. despite the outcry, but we've heard from more and more people that you you really miss the pet peeves. But thank you, Moose is my last name. This comes from James from Fort Smith. Great podcast for lay folks. Five stars. Jared and Ross have a great take on several hard topics from both the perspective of members and elders. Definitely worth it. Well, thank you, James, from Fort Smith. This comes from Beck221. I think I know who this is. Uh, yeah. And she her subject line is just Becky. Becky. <laughs> 
our subject That's line the subject. answer ourselves. The subject is Becky. Oh, five stars. Thanks, babe. She says, you'd think I would have enough of Jared C. Wilson's voice in my life. <laughs> But I listen to every single episode of this podcast and have since the beginning and love it every time. I don't know why he keeps running off his co-hosts, but hopefully he'll keep Ross around for a while. I miss Ronnie, but I'm also quite fond of Ross. <laughs> I love it. Can I just point out for anyone that's listening that doesn't know that Jared is in fact married to Becky? Yeah, and okay. when he said... Thanks, babe, for this. Yeah, <laughs> Just to backtrack that a little most bit. Most people wouldn't know, but oh yeah, you're right. Becky is my wife. This was her review. She has enough. You would think that she has enough of my voice in her life. This would be true if I wasn't an introvert and she wasn't an extrovert. She probably wishes I would talk a whole lot more than I do. We'll finish up with this one today. This is Pale Rider 00. Man, I like that. That's a pretty cool mm. Pale Rider 00. It's almost like a fighter jet call sign. Yeah. Maverick and Goose and Pale Rider 00. All right. Can you read that subject line? It just says your weekly shot of pastor. I've got the, your weekly shot of pastoral something. Okay. So we probably, we just need a bigger, a bigger screen, screen to see what that. So I can't read this subject, but it's five stars. And Pale Rider says, FTC is like the pastoral locker room. Okay. Where we get to hang out listening to brothers talk about the joys and challenges in ministry. The September 6th mailbag episode prompted me to finally write a review <laughs> to applaud the much-needed critique of patriotic church services. Yes, I've seen Proud to be an American sung in a worship service and the sensitive, nuanced advice on special needs ministry. Hmm. Plus, you can't beat the accent. Jared's smooth American <laughs> tones make a great listen. Well, thank you, Pale Rider. And uh, my Scottish friend over here has a pretty good accent himself. But just not as good as yours. I guess not. <laughs> it depends on your ears, right? Sure. It's a little something for everybody. Yeah. Speaking of a little something for everybody, we're going to talk about apostasy. Just <laughs> <laughs> a small subject. <laughs> yeah. You know, trying to please everybody. I don't know. There's a transition in there somewhere. You can find it if you really squint your eyes. So let me tell you what prompted this subject for me. And and I'm not – I'm going to walk lightly here, but I'm not. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm not – Prepared to say Andy Stanley is apostate. Okay. However, okay. I've been watching, observing this trajectory over the last 15 years that in the very beginning, some of us were kind of sounding alarms on when he would say things like, oh, in an interview, I think in Leadership Journal or Church Leader. It was with, it was with Ed Stetzer. I do know that. Where he said expository preaching is cheating and basically trying to push people away from the idea of kind of preaching, I guess, verse by verse, but mm. just sort of section by section, kind of you know, starting with the text and preaching from the text. And some of us went, well, that's rude. It, yeah. You know, that it's not cheating. It's actually a good, faithful way to preach. And why do you think starting with creativity is better, et cetera? But then you fast forward a few years and he's starting to say things like, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament and... We shouldn't say in our preaching, the Bible says, mm. you know, sort of like, okay, well, that's even weirder. Like, we, so I, you, you're watching a trajectory to now fast forward. And there's all kinds of things in between over the last, you know, a few months in the headlines again for having, you know, gay folks speak at his church at a conference on LGBTQ issues. No one that was, as far as I can perceive from the, what we might call orthodox side, speaking mm. to the issues. And this is all in the the name of just hear, of, of listening to people. But having those who say homosexuality is not sinful be the primary speakers at a conference mm. in a church about homosexuality 
at some point, the red flags are multiplying and they're yeah. waving even harder. So this is an episode about Andy Stanley, but it's just prompted by mm. at what point, and I think we could make a similar argument about like Rob Bell. Yep. So early on, there were folks like, hey, guys, this is squishy. And some of us, I mean, we're kind of like, ah, he's just a little out there, just a little artsy. Mm. But then you, uh, a few years later, he's saying, you know, some things he's denigrating, you know, scriptural, you know, truths. A few years later, then he's on Oprah and he's a universalist. And, you know, so there is a trajectory to apostasy yeah. that I think we should sort of tease out. Where do you think it begins? Like, do you have, it doesn't begin, I don't think, by declaring someone an apostate because they have a slightly off kilter view. Now, yeah. if it's a heterodox view, right, or a heretical view, yes. But if they're just doing things a little outside the box, that's not where you like throw somebody out of the camp. But I'm just trying to figure out at what point do we go, you know, spider senses tingling, yeah. caution, caution here. You know what I mean? I think you slightly touched on it when you talked about preaching. Mm -hmm. Often you won't find that when someone's starting to walk away from, from orthodoxy that they just jump in the pool of the mess that you know that there is a there's hints to it and i think yeah. where you see that is within the preaching circle is that like the frog in the kettle kind of the pot is sure. gradually yeah. warming or whatever yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Okay. and i think you can see it in that the preaching shifts to more topical preaching of issues of our time okay so we've often joked that we don't take we don't do hot takes you know we're not we're not trying to be led by societal issues yeah. we're just trying to address the things that you know, as and when they come up and they may be in season or, or out of season. And I think when preaching shifts to, you know, the focus being on sexuality, the focus being on politics, the focus being on just whatever is the latest hot topic. And then what's happening in that preaching is less scriptural. You know, here's a passage that we're working through and it happens to also speak about this issue. And actually it morphs to, let me talk about politics or sexuality, whatever it is. Oh, and I'll just use this verse as a kind of foundation to to jump off. I think that's when you begin to see that the preacher pastor has more interest in having a voice in the time yeah. than using scripture to fulfill the Great Commission of, of teaching all that, that Christ had taught. And I think for me, that's often a starting place of where you see it where you publicly see it. Now, they may have been thinking about different things behind the scenes and had some interesting conversations, but I think from a public stand view is when preaching begins to sound more like a TED talk of opinion rather than let me preach scripture. And from whatever scripture takes us, wherever that takes us, whether, you know, if scripture is saying that homosexuality is wrong, then that's what we're going to preach because that's what scripture says. We're instead, when we're moving towards apostasy, we're going, well, society saying this and scripture says something different, so so scripture must be wrong, you know. And I think having that society as the foundation, the societal views as your foundation of a topical sermon, you're going to start publicly showing your allegiances are not scriptural based. Yeah, I think, man, that's the biggest red flag. Is, yep. And it begins with this just sort of becoming a little more untethered or just yeah. you're giving a little more slack between the Bible and yourself. Yep. You're kind of drifting away from that somewhat. and. I think we should be at least somewhat clear to say this can happen in a couple of different directions. So apostasy, you know, isn't just a drift to the left. It's not just these, these clear sort of compromising on issues of sexuality and things like that, or or even just the core tenets of, of, of orthodoxy. You can drift into sort of a legalistic kind yeah. of approach yeah. when you said the thing about, you know, focusing on, on topical things about sexuality or politics, et cetera. I began to think, man, there's guys out there who— 
if you gave them the test on orthodoxy, they would mm. probably tick all the right boxes. But in their preaching and teaching, yeah. they're they're clearly untethered from the scripture, and they're camping out on right wing politics and those mm. sorts of things. And it's not long before they just sort of the even the guise of being closely aligned with the scriptures is just sort of the thin veneer for them being a right wing yeah. political ideologue. Right? Yeah. They're really doing politics. And Christianity is just sort of the gloss over it. We see that on the left and I think on the right. Yeah, I think to some extent on the left, we <laughs> it's not that we accept it, but we, we also anticipate it. Yes, we, we, right. we're, we're almost there going, well, yeah, of course they're going to do that. They're, they're going the way of the world. Yes. You know? But on the right, I think in some senses, it's almost more damaging yeah. because it's, it's just enough biblical to make it sound right, but not enough for it to actually or, be right. Or it's aligning with our political views. Yeah. So like a guy might get up for 45 minutes and give a purely political talk mm. from the pulpit that has nothing to do with the scripture or just tenuously. And I can go, I actually agree with yeah. all, all, all these politics. I just don't think this is what the pulpit yeah. is for, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's still a drifting away from the purpose. Yeah. And it gives the impression that to be a Christian means that you are a you know, politically aligning with these mm. things. Like that's the core of Christianity, which is, it's not the core of Christianity. Yeah. You're looking at, you know, the gospel and you're looking at, you know, yeah. theological, you know, tenets that determine the litmus test for orthodoxy. Well, yeah, okay. So I, yeah, that's what I've got as my first warning sign is just kind of waffling yeah. on scripture. Yep. And and I think we see that so much is like, it begins to be, I mean, this is going to sound obvious to a lot of people, but it it's, all these modern versions of, did God really say? Yeah. You know, I mean, the original life in the garden, did God really say? And when you pick up, you know, Rob Bell or William Paul Young and mm. all these guys and and so much of what, when they approach the Bible and they want you to think about the Bible, they're yeah. just undermining the idea that the Bible is inerrant. They're yeah. undermining the idea that the Bible is infallible, that it's authoritative, that it's sufficient. They want you to kind of hold the Bible really loosely, mm. you know, and they'll even come hard to say, well, you're a you know bibliolater, like yeah. you worship the Bible and those sorts of things. Like, no, but we worship God and this is his word. Mm. So like we don't, in a sense, detach who God is from what he says to us. We yeah. can trust what he says. And so when people begin to kind of waffle on scripture, that's where I'm kind of like, yeah. uh, you may not be saying something wrong quite yet. But you're but going this to. is where it starts. Yeah. This is where it starts. Okay, you got another. Yeah. So the, the other thing, and, and again, this seems obvious, and and I think it's it's crazy actually when we talk about this that the signs are actually really obvious. Okay. But but when we're in it or you're around it, you don't necessarily see it. Oh, you know? But for for me, I think the obvious one is reducing your view of Christ. So we often talk about having a high view of Christ and that the gospel is this is the phraseology that it's central to how we live. As you begin to loosen that high view and it kind of goes down a few rungs because other things are replacing it or just that you're not, that the gospel doesn't gleam as much. It doesn't, it, it doesn't hold your joy. It's, you know, your attention has started going elsewhere. And I'm not necessarily even saying politics or the issues of our society, just the gospel isn't as, as much of a high view anymore. It's, it's lost some of its, its gleam. I mean, I've, I was actually preaching on this just this past weekend about the, the treasure that is the gospel, the great pearl that's the gospel. Often when you listen to these preachers and when they bring out the gospel, it just doesn't quite sound right. It sounds like mm. a presentation. It doesn't sound like it's something that's actually theirs, that they live by. And again, the reason we know this is because one, they rarely mention it. And two, when yeah. they do mention it, it's a tag on. 
it's it's a reminder rather than what we're reminded in in one Corinthians fifteen that the gospel's past, present, and future that it is everything to mm. to the believer, and this to me it can be an early sign of many things. Uh, having a reduced view of the gospel doesn't necessarily mean you're heading towards apostasy. I think it just it's almost fundamental to any negative issue that a pastor preacher's going to walk into. Yeah, whether that's a sinful act whether that's apostasy, whether that's just not wanting to do the job anymore. Do you know, it is the starting place of lowering your view of Christ and, and what he has provided. Uh, just in chapel uh, yesterday, actually, someone was preaching of the beauty of knowing that Christ delights in us as we delight in him. And just that in itself, being delighting in Christ and Christ delighting in us, just those two things being a catalyst to our ministry it, and our personal lives and walks with Christ is incredible, but when you start seeing that as a lesser thing, or it begins to fade, or or it's tarnished in some way, then that's when you begin to walk away yeah. from what God is calling us to do. Yeah, this is close to my my third warning sign. I'm skipping over my second one here. My third is just rarely talking about Jesus, mm. or only talking about Jesus in very kind of conceptual or ideological ways. Yeah but not as a real person yeah. who is the real treasure of our heart, that we have a real intimacy with him. I think, you know, again, not to camp out on Andy Stanley, but one of the things that, has, you know, has troubled me over the last 10 years or so was just their— I mean, I actually think there's bad ecclesiology there, the approach to the Sunday morning gathering and the approach to preaching, which, which is obviously connected to mm. how he treats the Scripture as well. But— he once explained that they see an entire series, sermon series, you know, so week by week as one sermon in a way. Yeah. So he may not get to the Bible for a few weeks, or he may not get to the gospel for a few weeks. And of course, some would say, does he get to the gospel? And maybe <clears throat> he does. But if it's just on occasion, mm. if you're saving it for special occasions, it communicates. This isn't the driving yeah. energy of what we're doing here. There's something else that's kind of what we're really leaning on. Yeah. Big ideas, creativity, rhetorical ability, apologetical strategy, something like that. But the gospel is sort of the thing that needs help. Yeah. And we'll get to it when we get to it. But we really got to lay a lot, of, a lot of groundwork before we ever get to that. And that's not the way the Bible speaks about no. the gospel. It is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, mm-hmm. right? It is going forth into the world. It is bearing fruit and growing. The, the good news is the capital S spiritual power of transformation. So when we begin to sort of, as you said, tack it on Mm. or just treat it like it's, you know, a formality. But I also think like the way we talk about Jesus, the way Jesus informs our preaching, teaching ministry, when we start sort of distancing ourselves rhetorically from Christ or in in the same way that you mentioned the gospel being kind of an add-on, when we talk about Jesus purely as moral exemplar, Jesus was good, so be good. Jesus was tolerant, so be tolerant. Those are red flags. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, Jesus was good. Jesus was tolerant, I guess, rightly understood. I mean, he was intolerant of a lot of things too. But yeah, I mean, okay, moral exemplar, but also our righteousness, yeah. our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord, our Master. And that kind of language isn't very often no. used on the trajectory to apostasy. And Jesus that, becomes the you know the good you know the good buddy, co-pilot, guru, yeah. sage guy. And when the gospel is presented. And and to be clear, when you preach, you should always present the gospel. Yeah. But there is a difference between a presentation and 
let me tell you the gospel. There, there's a very sure. a, a different world there. And I think those leaning towards apostasy present yeah. information rather than actually proclaim the truth. And that's a big, big change. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've already heard, mm. lest we drift away from it. Uh, it's a great text about gospel centrality. Like, we've got to keep our eyes on this, fixate on Christ, or we're going mm. to drift. In the same way, like when you're driving, right, you, you tend to drift wherever your eyes are. So mm. if, if you're constantly staring off the side of the road at the scenery, you're going to start drifting towards where you're looking. And it's the same thing is true theologically, spiritually. Any other red flags or warning yeah. signs? Yeah, <clears throat> so this is one that comes kind of from Francis Chan and some recent behavior of Francis Chan. Okay. Um, he has aligned himself by nature of speaking at the same conferences with some interesting characters. Yeah, the Benny uh, Hins. Benny Hins. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is a debate of, so there is this argument of, uh, he will say, uh, you know, an opportunity to preach the gospel ir irrespective of who else is speaking, there's an opportunity and I'm going to take it. But by aligning yourself with these types of individuals, you're aligning with people who are apostates. And therefore, it's very hard to shake that image. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily making a comment on Francis Chan himself, more that type of behavior is sure. worrying. Yeah. And I was just thinking about Romans 12, 9. It's not an exact link, but I was thinking about let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You can't really truly hate evil if you're also using the same platform mm. as the evil that's being preached, yeah. which is... Especially uncritically, unprophetically, exactly. Et cetera. Yeah. It's a, I'll take my moment of preaching the gospel, but but I won't really hate what's being said. Yeah, and I think we're seeing this more and more, especially amongst those who want to get a name for themselves. And so these are kind of two points I'm hitting at the same time. Apostates want a name for themselves. They okay. want the celebrity status. They want people to follow them. So it's less about following Christ, more about following them. Then second. To do that, they have to align themselves with others that have a good following and a strong following. And therefore, two things are happening at once, that you're elevating yourself and you're elevating others that preach evil as well. And maybe this is not a first sign because, you know, you have to semi be a big deal to get to this point. But it's certainly a, a big red flag when I see two names together and I think, hang on, he's meant to be known for the gospel and this guy definitely isn't. Right. So why are they two sharing the same platform? Which leads me to a question for you. You, okay. you do a lot of conference speaking. Do you ever cast your eyes over the names or, or consider who's preaching and think, do I really want to be associated with this? Does that ever kind of cross your mind? Yeah, it has. I haven't been put in a position too much. I can think of one instance where mm -hmm. it wasn't somebody else who was invited, but the there was the possibility that he might be there. And I had some concerns that, that I shared and, the, and they were, you know, rectified. I have in my little speaker questionnaire a little section that says something about like asking me to speak recognizes theological convictions that might prevent me from sharing, you know, platform with such and such. But thankfully, the kind of people that invite me to speak usually don't aren't yeah. inviting people who are, well, you know, off the wall also yeah. to go speak. So yeah. I was in a situation once where someone didn't want to speak with me. Oh. <laughs> so the the host re reached out and said, "Hey, so and so wants to." They were trying to put it on me, or the other guy was wants to know if you're okay with sharing the platform with him. And I was like, "I don't have anything against that brother." As far as I know, it wasn't a theological thing. Maybe it was a personal thing, but mm. 
I was like, I don't have anything against him. Yeah, I'm fine. Well, then he backed out. <laughs> so <laughs> no. it was really, he didn't want to share the stage with yeah. me. So I don't know. Maybe he thinks I'm an apostate. But it is, it is important who you, so my, my dad used to say this. This is yeah. a phrase my dad used to say. If you fly with the crows, you'll get shot with the crows. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And, and it was right. a lesson yeah. for, for teenage boys off. If you hang around with the wrong crowd. Bad company corrupts good morals. Exactly. Yeah. You, you're going to find an, and you have no excuse because you knew that this was going to happen. Now, we've got to balance that with evangelism that we want to go and reach yeah. said bad crowd. But what we're talking about is individuals who actively want to be part of that crowd because yeah. they know a following will come. And that that's just a, you know, if you fly with the crows, yeah. you're going to get shot. With you know, them. what comes to mind in some ways when you asked about the, um, you know, sharing the stage thing was not that, but it, this came up on my Facebook memories yesterday. I recounted that there was a, a publisher's publicist at, was talking to me about, you know, podcasts, radio shows, different mm-hmm. things to promote the book and asked me about, this was several books ago, asked me if I would be willing to sort of downplay the Christian aspects of one of my books oh, wow. to be on a particular radio show. And my response was to say, like, my book doesn't have Christian aspects. Like, it's a Christian (laughs) theology. I think it was my book on the Holy Spirit, actually. So I was like, I don't know how you even would try to downplay. Mm -hmm. I said, but that's not – I said, I'll go on any show. So as long as I'm not having to misrepresent me or the material or something like that. And so when you were, you know, talking about, you know, Chan sharing stage or whatever, I thought of there was this once where I saw John MacArthur and Kirk Cameron were on Mm -hmm. TBN, Mm -hmm. which is not – very well known no. for being theologically yes. orthodox. But here are these two guys who are known for being hardline yes. orthodox. Somehow they're on TBN. Kirk Cameron is interviewing MacArthur and very, I think, subtly but pointedly, he's kind of he's just lobbing up these theological softballs. Yeah. And MacArthur's just hitting them yep. out of the park. And they had to do with sufficiency of scripture mm-hmm. and different things like that. And I just thought it was it was brilliant. So they, these were two guys who were willing yeah. to go. And I don't agree with you know, them on everything, but they're orthodox guys. Mm-hmm. And they they were willing to go into, I don't know if you want to call it enemy territory, but just yeah. a different platform, yeah. not known for theological orthodoxy. And they did what they mm-hmm. do. And they didn't do it in a rude way that I could see, but they did it in a prophetic yeah. way. And yeah, they were convictional about it. And so I could see, mm. like, if somebody invited me to go someplace and there were some other kind of folks there. I wouldn't want to downplay like, oh, I'm one of them. I'm trying to use them. Hey, think of me like them. I'd say, well, as long as I can say what God's gifted me to say and, you know, and and you won't restrain my message. Yeah, I'll go anywhere where I can preach the gospel. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. My last sort of warning sign is basically behavioral compromises. So I'm not necessarily even thinking about like the big Mm. name preachers or even preachers themselves are trying to get a big name. I'm just thinking about the average person. How do you like, you know, keep from drift? The thing is you begin to sort of like, no one blows up their life in a minute. You know, it's minute by minute. You just make these little compromises here and there. And you don't have to be a legalist to care about holiness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Caring about holiness doesn't make you a legalist. And I've heard, I think this was Tim Keller that I originally heard this from. And I don't know if it's original to him, but he said something like, when your college student comes home and begins to question, is, is questioning things about the faith that they were raised in, you should ask them who they're sleeping with. His reasoning was we begin to give ground yep. in areas of sin, and then we sort of create the, the, discussion ob- the obfuscation or justification of it you know, theologically. Did God really say mm. premarital sex is wrong? Well, you didn't come up with that ideologically sitting around pondering yeah. you know, the biblical you know, teaching on sexuality. You want to sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend, and now you're beginning to go, well, is it really wrong? Yeah. You know? 
So like the the behavioral compromises, maybe that's the frog in the yeah. in the kettle, which has been debunked by the way. Yeah, somebody told me that's actually <clears throat> like as soon as it gets a little uncomfortable, the frog jumps out. So <laughs> it's not even a real thing, I guess. <laughs> Just some things society yeah. happens to us, that. not yeah. to frogs. Um, We're dumber than frogs. My last one is the same thing, but reflected on others. So you're talking about the individual's behavior that is becoming the apostate. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the people that follow said individual okay. and their behaviors and uh, what they produce. So if you look at, uh, you know, if you if you just look at these types of individuals we're talking about that have gone this direction, they produce a certain congregation. It's often marked by anger towards others that would disagree. It's marked by behavioral changes, but not heart changes. So we talk about this where the gospel changes the heart, then the behavior, not the behavior, then the heart, where these types of individuals will lead others to, you know, live your best life now, where it's a behavioral shift. Also, these types of individuals, if to look at a church, you're going to see mess. Like that's that's just any church, you're going to see mess. But you should also see the beauty of Christ working in mm. people's lives, changing them, sanctifying them. The types of church we're talking about don't necessarily produce that. They produce people that go for the good talk and then you don't see them for six days. And if you do see them, you're going to see them in a negative light and that you can't actually hold Christian standard against them of this is how you should live per the Bible, not in a legalistic way, but in a gospel-fueled way, and, and you're just not going to see that. And I'll, I'll just use an example, and, and this is really probably one of the more extreme individuals who I don't even know ever really truly grasped gospel centrality, Joel Osteen. We met somebody, a couple, when we went camping, and the couple had said that they go to church, and we had asked them, where do they go? And, oh, we, we've been to Joel Osteen's church. And we said, oh, uh, how did you find that? And the response was, well, nice on the day, but it just felt quite lonely, and, and you know, we think we should make a change because it, it just doesn't feel right. We're not happy. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole time they're talking, they only talk about the negatives. Like that's all they have is negatives. They'll say, oh, you know, it was a good worship time or a good this. And then the rest is just negatives. Because what is being produced in that church is this height of joy yeah. in one hour service and then just flatness because there's nothing there. There's no foundation of the gospel. So to look at the preacher, the pastor that's beginning to have those red flags, also look at the people that he's leading. Are we seeing gospel change lives? Are we seeing yeah. Christ magnified in their lives? Because the pastor is accountable for the church body under Christ. Therefore, you should be seeing a Christ-centered church operating, still with the mess, still working through the mess, but not this kind of mini apostates that yeah. you know speak a good game on Sunday, but then Monday <laughs> to Saturday they're just angry people to the world. Yeah, you know. Yesterday, I was recording a future episode of the podcast with Jim Davis and Michael Graham, co-authors of The Great Dechurching, which really is a report of or analysis of the biggest sociological study that's been done of the of the dechurched phenomenon, like hundreds of thousands of dollars they spent on this thing. And they shared that the findings showed that the biggest reason for dechurching, people leaving the church, is not what we usually suspect it is, which is my theology changed yes. or something like that. It's lifestyle change. The number one reason is I moved. Mm. So they moved away, so they're not at the church they used to be at, and they just don't go to a new church. Or there's some kind of lifestyle change, travel, baseball, something like that, you know, sports. There's some kind of, like I said, it's just the American cultural experience swimming against that tide. And that's why people, the number one reason people have mm. de And so I, I, I just said, well, isn't that itself kind of a theological 
problem because if I view church not as a covenant community that I am a part of, a family, but just a thing I go to, then that's a bad ecclesiology. That's yeah. not just I moved and now it's out of my lifestyle. That's I don't view church mm-hmm. in a biblical way. So I just take it or leave it. And they very plainly said, you know, Jim said, yes, the he said, this is a discipleship problem. Mm. It's not just a cultural out there problem. It's a, it's a, And he said, so when our churches have kind of, he used the cliche of, you know, Coldplay music and TED Talk preaching, when that's the experience of church, like what you just described, yeah. that's what we win people to. And it's just a consumer experience. So this is a discipleship issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the gifts of the church, right? I mean, this podcast is for the church. One of the gifts of the church is being able to see into each other's lives yeah. and see these warning signs. Yes. Yeah. Hey, brother, I, I like theologically, I see you're kind of ticking the right boxes and you kind of speak academically, et cetera. But I want to know about your relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, how's your personal walk with Christ going? That's important. Yeah. That keeps you on the right track more yeah. than just having all the right knowledge. Or Hey, I, I notice like you're beginning to kind of compromise on some of mm. these, you know, behavioral type issues and you seem to be affirming things that the Bible condemns yeah. and, or at least sympathetic to that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Where is that? Co- the church is our accountability and kind mm. of our guardrails. And also things. remember to go the right way as well. We were talking about that's the left way. Also remember to go the right way. Yeah. Hey, I, your sermons recently, we had this question ages ago in a mailbag you know, these sermons are sounding legalistic. What should I do? You know, keep them accountable. Yeah. You know, I recently I've been hearing your preaching and there's a lot of law and I'm, I'm struggling with it because I'm not hearing the beauty of the gospel. Do you recognize that in your sermons? How yeah. are you doing with gospel focus in your own personal life? Because it seems in your sermons, we're getting a lot of law at the minute. So I think we've also got to be careful in being one accountable to not go to the left, but also don't, we need to be accountable to stopping a legalistic view over things. And I think that pendulum can swing quite hard the other way. I think as we try not to be on the left, we can swing a bit too hard to the yes. right. And what we're trying to hit is, is that central point of that the gospel can mean that we can live in society, but off the society, that we can speak boldly about the gospel change in our own lives while also holding it with humility of understanding that we can be subject to failure and try not to swing too much the other way. And I, I know our own personal church, that's been a real challenge as we've went through Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes just, you know, is a pretty doer book, you know, you're, you're having to really pull the gospel out of it in that sense. And I think our pastors did a really good job of walking that line of saying, you know, here's the truth that these things don't work, but let me point you to the thing that does work. And I think that's always the thing is reminding ourselves, don't point to the left, don't point to the right point to Christ, because that's always going to be the answer. Yeah. Speaking of pointing to Christ, we we can end with this. This comes from Hebrews chapter 6, the famous passage on falling away. For it is impossible, this is Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 4, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, what is being described there? Certainly a kind of apostasy. And yet when we move forward in um, the book of Hebrews, we see in verse 9 of chapter 6, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So if you are a Christian, if you have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, 
you have the power of the gospel to recommit yourself daily to Scripture, mm. repent, you know, die to yourself, crucify your flesh, commit to the centrality of Scripture, commit to personal holiness and cooperating with the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification in your life, and, of course, engaging with the real Christ on a, a day-by-day basis. That's how you pay closer attention mm. to what we've already heard. If you enjoy the podcast, dear listener, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 